0: Heart. John chapter number 21, let's begin reading at verse number 1. The Word of God says, After these things Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, No. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from the land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon in and bread. Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fishes, an hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. And Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. Let's read verse 1 once more. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time that you've given us We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be in your house. We ask now, humbly, Father, that you would meet with us this evening. That you'd speak to each heart that which is most needful. Lord, that it be done in such a way that bring glory to your Son and to Him alone. Lord, we love you tonight. Teach us to love you more. We'll be sure to thank you for it. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. As you read the chapter. I'm going to go ahead and just cut it off. We'll use this one. As we examine the 21st chapter of the book of John, there are many thoughts that we could begin to enter into that are worthwhile to enter into. Uh, we could read and study about what took place between uh, Peter and the Lord. Certainly, this was a pivotal moment in the life of Peter. Peter had at one time uh, been in a situation where he had been fishing all night and had caught nothing. And the Lord had come by His way, only He was not standing on the seashore, but instead He climbed into His boat. He used His boat for a short while to preach to the multitudes that were gathered there. And then they thrust out into the deep in Luke chapter number 5. And as they were there, the Lord said to let down your nets. And Peter said, well, we've been fishing all night and we've caught nothing. But he said, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the nets. This was the, the dawning of Peter's call into the ministry. But now, after uh, approximately three years, three and a half years, here Peter is. That was at the beginning of the Lord's earthly ministry. Here we find ourselves at the end of our Lord's earthly ministry. And a night that is eerily similar, in the exact and very same place, the Bible says the Sea of Tiberias, that's also the Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Genesareth, the Sea of Chinnereth. it goes by all these names in the Gospels. But here at this very same place where God had called him into the ministry, he has another night of toiling without fruitfulness. We could preach on what the Lord did in Peter's life that night. We'll touch on it, but I don't want us to focus on We could go a little further and look at the Lord's command to Peter to feed his sheep and to feed his lambs. And certainly there's much preaching that can be done there. We could spend a few moments just gathered around that fire with him, and we could talk about what the bread and the fish represented. We could enter into the significance of how many fish, and the fact that the net broke, and so on and so forth. But tonight, I want us to spend a few moments just considering this thought, that the Lord showed Himself to this group of men. Now, you say, preacher, why is that significant? Doesn't the Lord, in one way or another, show Himself to all of us in our lives? And certainly, I believe that that's true. Paul said it this way. He told the Galatian Christians, he he talked about Christ that was evidently set forth crucified among them. In other words, they in their mind's eye could see Christ on the cross. And certainly you've had times in your life, and I've had times in my life, where we have diligently sought the Lord, where we've endeavored in a life of prayer and a life of diligent service. And in response to all these things, Not because it makes us a better Christian, but because we're being obedient to the Word of the Lord. God manifests Himself in a unique way in our lives. Maybe not in a way that the physical eye could see. In fact, I'd say most assuredly not in a way that the physical eye could see. Paul said He was seen last of all of me. Uh, I'm sure you probably didn't hear an audible voice, but you knew that God was working in your life. Now, what an encouragement that God, if we'll be obedient to Him, will manifest Himself in such a way. Isn't that a blessing this evening to know we have that kind of a God? But can I tell you a greater blessing? When the Lord showed Himself to these seven men at the Sea of Tiberias, they hadn't been diligently seeking him. In fact, they were probably, to some degree, greater or lesser, the farthest they had been away from Him in three and a half years let me say that it's a great blessing that god will show himself to us in the midst of our faithfulness when we have diligently sought him but what a blessing it is to me to know that god sometimes will choose to show himself to us in the midst of our failures when we desperately need him now if you're if you're going to take this as an excuse to live in rebellion well that's your choice that's not my intention in preaching it tonight but there might be somebody here tonight that that is sheepish, where they ought to be bold in approaching the throne room of grace. And there could be in this little group of believers here tonight, someone that has even walked away from the prayer closet, feeling undeserving for God to meet with them. And I want to give you encouragement tonight by showing you a group of men that did just that. They walked away, and the Lord came and found them where they were at. I want you to notice a few things tonight, and I'm going to try to be brief, quick as I can. I want you to notice first off their condition. What does the Bible say about these men that were fishing? You know, the Bible has much to say with what is said, but sometimes much can be learned by what's not said as well. And all we're told about these men is that here, while they were in Galilee, they came to a place where the Bible says in verse number 3, Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing... They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. That's the only thing that's really said about their condition before the Lord meets with them. But if we'll take a moment and ponder on what's taken place, then we'll see that much more went on than just what's explicitly said there in the Scripture. I want you to notice, first off, their abandonment of the place that God had called them to. Do you remember what the Lord told the disciples after, uh, or told the women to tell the disciples after that He had resurrected? Let me read it to you. In Matthew twenty-eight, verse number ten, the Bible says, "Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me." Down in verse number sixteen, the Bible is even more explicit when it says, "Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them." I don't know how many days exactly had passed between uh, the moment when they had seen Him there uh, in the upper room and had seen Him uh, and uh, Thomas had doubted, and then a week later, the Lord appears to them again when Thomas is in the midst. Uh, I don't know how much time passed between then and the occasion that we're preaching on tonight. But God had called them to go into Galilee, and there was a particular mountain that the Lord had made them aware of, and He said, "There, I want you to wait. If you'll wait there, I will appear unto you, and you shall see me." At some point in the midst of the waiting, they got tired of the waiting. And I say one of the toughest things you'll ever do in life is wait on the Lord. Just to wait. And by the way, waiting is not necessarily idleness either. But these men, in the midst of their waiting, at some point Simon Peter stood up. And when he said, I go a fishing, you wasn't saying it like me or you would. We, me and Charles were talking before the service tonight. And he said, boy, I'm ready for spring. And he said, I, and I hope the fish are biting. And I'm right there with him. I, I hope that they are. I like somebody asked me uh, a couple weeks ago, said, do you like to go fishing? where it said, do you go fishing? And I said, well, I go fishing probably more than I should, but not as much as I like. And, uh... It's a recreational activity for most of us to go fishing. I don't know anybody in the room that, and I know everybody in the room, but I don't know anybody in the room that has a commercial fishing boat and that goes out on the water to make their living, but at this time it was different. And when Peter said, I go a fishing, he was not just saying, boys, I'm gonna go down there and wet a line and spend a few hours with my feet kicked up. What Peter was saying is, I'm going back to the life that I once lived. For three and a half years, we've followed this man, Jesus Christ. We've watched his miracles. We've listened to his words and his teachings. But he says, now he's nowhere to be found. And because God's not working, listen carefully, because God's not working, I'm leaving. You know, there's times, and I say this as, as, a, as a pastor, there's times when if, if you're going to tuck out and leave every time things ain't going your way, you're not going to be there long at all. And in your Christian life, if the only time that you're going to pray is when God's moving and working, you're not going to pray very often at all. And the only time you're going to study your Bible is when it's like God opens heaven and pours out knowledge and wisdom from His pages into your mind's eye. Then you're not going to read your Bible very much at all. God had given them a commandment. He said, there's a mountain I want you to go to, and I want you to wait there. Because if you'll wait, if you'll be obedient, I'll appear there to you. But when we see these men, they're not on the mountain. They're in the midst of the sea. But I'm thankful even though the Lord... And man, let me tell you something, we have a good God. He told them exactly where they needed to be to meet Him. And when they weren't there, He came looking for Him anyway. Now tell me that's not the kind of God that we have. You see, they expected to see Him on the mountain. But there on the mountain, He didn't show up. So what did it do? It drove them down into the valley and down to the seaside. And they said, I go fishing. They abandoned their post. And I, and again, if you, I don't say this as a license to be backslidden, but I don't believe anybody here would take it as such. But I'm thankful that in times in my life when I've abandoned my post, I mean, God has a post for us. There's a place that God intends for us to be serving and to be working and to be living for Him. And there's been times in my life when I have abandoned my post. And God has still met with me in a special way. That's grace. Let me tell you something. As long as we think we deserve it, it's not grace. For it to be grace, it's got to be something we don't deserve. And there's a lot of things God does in response to obedience to His Word. There's nothing about us that is ever, if I could make up a word here, blessable, if that's a word. There's nothing about us that's worth blessing. But God's Word is always worth blessing. And there's times when we, in obedience to God's Word, we gain a blessing because we've done what God has asked us to do. But what about those times when we've not been doing what God's asked us to do? I don't know about you, but I have times like that in my life. And I can look back and see that God's hand was even then upon me, even in times when I had abandoned my post. Notice, secondly, not only their abandonment, but look again at verse number 3. What does it say? They went forth and entered into a ship immediately... And that night, they caught nothing. These are fishermen I can identify with. Somebody say amen right there. Spent all night, and they had caught nothing. God was with them in their abandonment, but God was with them in their emptiness. They were completely devoid of fruitfulness in every way. I don't know how to express it. I'm just going to trust the Holy Spirit to say it to your heart how it needs to be said. But there's times in our Christian walk when we feel empty. And it's not God's fault, it's our fault. He's given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. But now here's here's the trick. If you're where God expect, wants you to be and calls you to be, God has something that He wants to bless your life with. And I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about a new house or a new car. I'm talking about spiritual blessings, spiritual things in your life. I'm talking about God giving you a joy unspeakable, full of glory. I'm, I'm talking about seeing your loved ones saved. I'm talking about your prayer life, living and breathing and being vibrant in your Bible. God has those things for you, and He's appointed a place for you to receive them. And that place is... Uh, in the place of obedience. Oftentimes, when we're not in the place of obedience, we don't receive those things. And we just dry up in our Christian walk. I've been there. I don't know if you have. I I think you probably have at some point. That place of emptiness where nothing seems to be working, where you open your Bible and it's just, just black and red ink on white pages and doesn't seem to mean anything to you. And you pray and you get alone in your prayer closet and you try to pray anyways... Feels like you got a mile of concrete between you and the throne room, and you just feel empty inside, and you can't figure out why. Oftentimes in our pride we really know why, but we don't want to admit why. We see their emptiness. Notice a third thing. Look in verse number four. The Bible says, But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. We see them in their abandonment and their emptiness. But we see them in their obliviousness to the presence of the Lord on the seashore. Now, I'll go ahead and confess to you that I believe this is a, a bit symbolic. Not that he wasn't really on the shore and so on, but, I, but, but this thought is, is a bit symbolic. It was probably dark. That's probably why they couldn't see. It was probably maybe even there was a fog in the midst of that night upon the sea. I don't know, but probably if you and I had been 200 cubits away, we would have had trouble seeing as well. But don't forget this thought that they should have been expecting him. They should have been expecting him. He said, go into Galilee and I'm going to meet you there. They weren't where they needed to be. But notice not just how far their bodies were from the place they needed to be, but notice how far their minds and their spirits were from the place they needed to be. Because when the Lord appears, they don't know who it is. We see this progression in the life often of a Christian Christian. That gets out of the will of God. The first thing they do often is abandon their post. I see it all the time. And I, you know, me, me and, uh, me and brother Eric were talking before the church serves about all the sickness going around. And man, there's, there's lots of Lots of sickness. And, uh, we're talking about people not being able to be at church. And there's lots of folks that would if they could. I mean, that's the truth. I'm aware of that. Lots of folks, they'd be here right now if they could be. But it's not lost on me sometimes that there's folks that could but won't. That's just the truth. And I'm not fussing. That's just the way that it is. There's always folks that could but won't. And as a pastor, your mind can go back. If every person that has come to this church in the past uh, going on five years was here, we would have had to have built two times over. And church history, a personal church history, I mean. I don't mean church history in the sense of just ecclesiastical history as a as a subject or a topic, but I mean Walridge's church history. We've got lots of folks that when the going got tough, they stayed and they stuck it out and praised God for them. But I'm sure you can remember, and I know that I can remember, we can look around and see empty pews and places where folks have abandoned their posts. And left where God would have them to be. And you know the first complaint that you always hear when folks start missing church? The first thing they start complaining about is church. I've had people complain. I mean, people that hadn't been here in six months or a year complain about things, about how things are going at to church. And I always think to myself, you don't know how things are going at to church. You ain't been here in six months or a year. They start complaining. And really what it is, is it's a projection of the emptiness in their own spiritual condition. What it is, is they got dissatisfied with Jesus. And when you get dissatisfied with Jesus, you mark her down, you'll get dissatisfied with church every time. And they start to complain and they're just they're, they're just projecting that emptiness that's inside. And that's really what it is. What they're saying is not that there's something wrong with the church. They're saying there's something wrong with church. It don't do for them what it used to do. Well, maybe if we came ready, it'd do for us what it used to do, right? I mean, nine times out of ten, we always come in and, and we want to take, take, take. But Let me tell you something. If you come in ready to give something, you'll find you come a lot closer to getting something. And if you'll come in ready for the Lord to do a work in your heart, it'll be a lot easier for God to do a work in your heart. It's funny how we want to come through the doors and then get it started up then. Well, it's like anything, man. On these cold mornings, if you want that car to be warm when you get in it, you better go out and start it up about 15 minutes early. You want this place to be warm when you get here? Why don't you start it up about 15 minutes early? Praying and praising the Lord and singing and asking God and begging God to do something. Not in somebody's heart that you've got a problem with, but in your heart and ready for God to do a work, we see that emptiness. And then you know what you see? You see the obliviousness of it. That's the progression. First they abandon their post. Then there's that that emptiness. And then when God does start moving and working, they they can't even value what God is doing. They can't even see what God is doing in the midst. One of the things I learned very quick in pastoring is that you have a choice to make what you focus on. And as a pastor, I I can choose to focus on the folks that disappoint, and I'll be disappointed. Or I can choose to focus on the folks that God is working in their life, and it'll encourage me. I've shared this several times over the past few weeks since I preached on it, but, but Paul's letter to the Colossian believers is a great encouragement, because Paul had never met the Colossian believers. He said, I I long to see you face to face. Now, stop and think about that. In all of Paul's journeys, in all the places he had preached at, in all the churches that he had planted, he could have wrote a letter to any one of them. He could have focused on any one of them. But instead, he chooses a group of believers he's never met. And over and over and over again, he talks about what an encouragement they had been to him in chapter number 1. How he had thanked God for their faithfulness and for the grace of God that was manifest in the midst of them. You know what Paul was doing? Paul probably had 100,000 churches he could have focused on to discourage him. But he found one, even though he had never met him, and said, I'm going to be encouraged by that group of believers. I'm going to be encouraged that they're doing the right thing. And we choose to look around and see what God's doing. And you meet some people. It's funny how different people have different perceptions. Uh, you can go to one person at the end of a service and say, how would you think that service was? They'll say, well, it's all right. You go to another person and say, how would you think that service was? And they'll say, oh, the Spirit of God just moved. Why is that? Well, one's oblivious and one's not. One came ready, and one came and wanted somebody to ready them for them. One came wanting, and another came wanting to leave. That's the difference. We see them in the midst of their condition. But then notice their contact. Here they are. I mean, you couldn't pick seven guys farther away from God probably on this night. You couldn't pick seven guys who it was less likely that God was going to show up and do something in their life. They had left where God wanted them to be. They were miserable. They were oblivious to the presence of the Lord. There was no chance. But what does it say? Look at verse number 5. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have ye any meat? We see a communication taking place. That's the way it always begins when God does a work. He communicates. He may do it through the preached Word. He may do it in your private life, in your study time. He may do it just by the witness of the Holy Ghost. But He always communicates to you. You know why? Because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. This was their moment of grace, you understand. This was their moment of mercy. This was the opportunity that they had. They could have looked at one another and said, just some crazy guy out here uh, in the early morning hours on the side of the sea. They could have said, oh, it's just somebody wanting to buy some of the fish we've caught, but we've not caught anything. They could have just passed by and said, it's insignificant. But instead, there was something within them that said, You hear that voice? You say, oh, they're wanting something within him." Hey, in the prior chapter, he breathed on them and they received the Holy Ghost. They're operating under a different condition than they've ever operated before. The Holy Ghost now resides within them. When they heard the voice, there was something within them. The Spirit of God said, listen to the voice that's speaking. And in the same way, oftentimes in the darkest of our spiritual conditions, I'm not talking about the lost individual. I'm talking about saved individuals. I'm talking about in the thickness of our backsliddenness, the voice of God will speak. And there we have a choice. Will we turn away and say, it's not for me? Or will we pause and give a moment of consideration to what God's trying to say to us? We see that there is a communication but notice, and I've always thought this was interesting. You know, I mean, I'm like a broken record if you've been around here any amount of time. But notice, we have the Lord asking a question. Now, here it is. Here they are in this, in this awful condition. How is God going to meet with them? Well, there's three things that have to take place. The first is a communication. That's on God's part. God's got to speak, and God will speak if we'll allow Him to and if we'll listen. But then notice... He asks a question. Now, we've talked about this before. Why does God ask a question? God God only asks rhetorical questions. You understand that, right? Uh, he, he's omniscient, so he has no need to ask a question for his personal benefit. He asks a question for the benefit of those to whom the question is being asked or those that hear the question being asked. And what does he ask them? He says, children, have ye any meat? Now, as he's asking them this, he's not just asking them if they got, you know, some... Beef jerky or Slim Jim or something in the boat. He's saying, did you catch anything last night? What's he wanting? He's wanting a confession. He's wanting them to admit something to him. Notice the curt, short answer. They answered him, no. Well, there wasn't much else to say, was there? Very likely there was no reason they didn't catch fish, except God wouldn't let them catch fish. I mean, these are not novices. These are not rookies. These are men that up until God had called them into the ministry, had probably spent the better part of their teenage years and their adult life on the sea. There was no reason they shouldn't have caught any fish. There was nothing else to say. They couldn't say, well, a bad storm arose, or, well, it's bad fishing weather. The reality is, everything was probably right for them to catch fish. So all they could say is, no, no. I've always been struck by the question that that God asks Hagar. Do you remember in Genesis, and I believe it's chapter 16, God looks at Hagar and asks her this question, Hagar, what aileth thee? Hagar, what's the matter? You remember whenever uh, Rebekah was giving birth to Jacob and Esau, she made this statement. She said, if it be so. And what was she talking about? She was talking about all the promises that God had made Abraham. How that God had promised Abraham that, that through Isaac there would be a, a, a seed and, and that there would be a, a promised Messiah and that there would, through Isaac, be a nation arise. And here, here Rebecca is and she's given birth to twins. And it says that they strove within her. And Rebecca probably thinks she's about to die and lose the children. And she says this, she says, If it be so! Why am I thus? Well, what was the answer to that question? The answer, the Lord said to Rebecca, was There be two manner of people within thee, two nations are striving. And you know, sometimes we just ask ourselves this, or it'd pay us to. If I'm a child of God, why am I so miserable? If I have every reason to rejoice, why am I so unhappy? If everything's right, why am I so wrong? If the church is supposed to be the place where I gain a blessing, why does it feel like a graveyard? If my prayer closet is where I'm supposed to pour my heart out to God, why does it seem so closed in? If the Bible is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, why does it seem so dull to me? Children, have ye any meat? They answered no. See, before you'll ever get right, you've got to admit something's wrong. You'll never get right till you admit something's wrong. You know, one quick way they could have got the Lord out of their presence if they had lied and said, Oh, yes, we've got a boat full. Because here's the ironic thing we we, we say it all the time, and the Bible teaches that Christ came not to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. And let me tell you something, you know the only kind of people that the Lord can help is those that need help. He wanted a confession out of them. He wanted them to acknowledge that their boat was empty and their heart was empty and their life was empty. And they needed something. I'll tell you why lots of folks don't get help when they come to the house of God is because they come to the house of God thinking they don't need anything. They come into the house of God thinking that the house of God really needs them. But they don't come thinking they need anything. Well, if you don't think you need anything, you're not going to get much of anything. Only when you acknowledge that there's a need in your life can that need be met. He wanted a confession out of them. Then notice the third thing. We see not only a communication and a confession, but look at verse number 6. And he said unto them, cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. We see a compliance that had to take place. Let me tell you something. God can't get anywhere with us until He breaks our will. Our will is, is, as long as we are in sinful flesh, our will is perpetually contrary to the will of God. Whatever God wants for your life, your will will not want for your life. Whatever God has for you, your flesh don't want it. And so before anything could take place, their will had to be broken and God's will had to be put into place. There had to be a compliance. Let me tell you something. You know why God allows things like that to happen in our life? And I'm not going to presume to understand everything that God does. But when God allows these times of emptiness, you know why? He's trying to teach us that without Him we can do nothing. He's got to let us get down to nothing before we really grasp the meaning of the word nothing. Some of you some of you know what the word "poor" means, and then some of you really know what the word "poor" means. <laughs> we talk about being poor nowadays, and I you know, growing up, I, I, I always tell folks that, that uh, you know my family, we weren't rich by any means, but, but we were, you know, we, we weren't poor, but my parents never told us that that we weren't poor. They always had us convinced that we was poor. And uh, any time that we go, you know, I, can we stop? You know, I want to get me an IC or something. They'd say, we ain't got money for that. I look back and it was like 60 cents or something. But th- what it really was, they didn't want to stop. Amen. But they, they'd say, yeah, we ain't got money for that. We always got our clothes from the goodwill. And we weren't poor, but we kind of thought we were. And that's kind of how this generation is today. When we talk about poverty today, it's not like some of your parents and grandparents knew that poverty was. See, poor means one thing to one person, another thing to another. And in the same way, nothing means one thing to some people. Nothing means something entirely different to those that have really experienced the nothingness of serving in the flesh. He wanted them to realize they couldn't do it. And only when they realized... Would they be willing to do it God's way? Isn't it interesting the language that's used? And, and, I, you know, I, and I hope I'm not doing a disservice to the Word of God when I say this, but it says, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and ye shall find. Now, words are a funny thing because they can be taken a lot of different ways. And I, I believe probably what the Lord meant what was when He said the right side of the ship is He meant it directionally. But I don't think that I'm stretching when I say this that if the right side of the ship was the right side of the ship, then the left side of the ship was the wrong side of the ship. So when he says to do it on the right side, he's really saying to do it the right way. Don't you think that's true? And I don't believe we'd be being unkind to the Word of God if we were to say this. The compliance is that we've got to do things the right way. And you say, oh, preacher, I thought this was going to be a blessing about how I, you know, oh, I was so terrible, but God blessed me anyway. God blesses His Word. That's what God blesses. God doesn't bless you because you've sown a seed. God doesn't bless you because you, you've, uh, you know, tithed and, and given your money. God blesses His Word. None of us are worthy to be blessed. It's God's Word that's worthy to be blessed. That's why a lot of times, do you know that the book of Proverbs in a lot of ways is the most secular book in the entire Word of God? Because even a lost man oftentimes can apply the principles in the book of Proverbs, and it'll still be true, and it'll still be so. You ever wondered why it is that there's so much money that's that's funneled into a lot of celebrities and and, uh, athletes and things of that sort? It's because a lot of these people, they give and give and give as a part of charity, and a lot of times it's a tax shelter. But still, funny thing about the Word of God, it's true no matter who's doing it. God blesses His Word. And only when they responded in obedience, only when their will was broken and they were willing to do it God's way, only then could God bless them. Well, what was the conclusion? I'll just give you these in hush. Notice verse number 6 again. What happened now? They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. We see a fruitfulness taking place. When they were doing it in the energy of their flesh, there was bankruptcy. There was failure. But now that God's appeared to them and they have been obedient to what he's commanded them, now there's fruitfulness. Maybe it just borders on the verge of simplicity to say this. But the Bible's still true when it says this in John 15:5, "I'm the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him the same bringeth forth much fruit." You know what our problem is? We have a me problem. That's the problem. It's we're trying to do things our way. Look around you and you'll find churches that have been transformed into business models. You'll find uh, ministries that have been transformed uh, into the latest marketing ploy. No longer. In fact, I, Rick Warren was quoted one. And I don't even like to quote him in the pulpit, but uh, j- just to be critical, I will. Rick Warren was quoted saying one time that you just can't build a church with prayer and preaching anymore. Well, if you can't build it if you build something without prayer and preaching, you didn't build a church. Right? Whatever you built, you didn't build a church because the Bible says that God hath chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that are lost. That's the only way. Only through doing it through God's means can we get God's results. That's the only way. We do it in his strength, we'll succeed. We do it in our strength, will fail, and it may look like success to the world, but in God's eyes, it'll be failure. But once they did things God's way, they saw fruitfulness. And, and could I just even go a step? This isn't really in the, in the message, but notice what it says in verse number 7. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. You know, funny thing about it, when they started doing it God's way, they saw the Lord everywhere. Funny, when you get right, you'll start seeing God everywhere. People that are right with the Lord, they see the Lord in that lower heating bill. They see the Lord in that missed wreck. They see the Lord in an extra day of wellness before they got sick, or a day earlier that they got better where somebody else stayed sick. Folks that are not right with God, they don't see God anywhere. I mean, God could swoop down and intervene in their life, and they'd say, oh, boy, that was fortunate. Boy, that was good luck. No, friend, that's God intervening. But when you get right with God, you'll start seeing Him everywhere. Friend, He'll pop up places you never even imagined He was. Now that they've done things God's way, now that their will has been broken, John says, I know who that is. I know who it is that could cause these fishes to come up in this net. I know who it is. He says, it's the Lord. And look what happens. It says, now, when Simon Peter heard that, it was the Lord. He girded his fisher's coat unto him for he was naked, and he cast himself into the sea. The fruitfulness is not just in the fish. It's in the heart change that took place. Now, all of a sudden, the man that they left the upper room and they left the mountaintop that they cared nothing to see, now that their will has been broken, Peter says, hey, I've got to get to him. That's my Lord. That's my Lord. Now, all of a sudden, he treasures him and he values him who who just a few hours earlier he was willing to walk out on because he hadn't showed up the way Peter thought he should have showed up. You'll find that when God breaks your spirit and breaks your will, you'll really learn to value and appreciate him the way that he ought to be. Notice, secondly, we see the fortitude of Peter. What does it say in verse number 10? Well, now, let's read it side by side. Verse number 6, "...they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes." Verse 10, "...Jesus saith unto them, Bring of the fish which ye have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of great fishes, and hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was the net not broken." Yet was not the net broken." A few moments earlier, it was so much that all the men in the boat couldn't pull it up. But now, at the word of the Lord, Peter's able to go and grab hold of it and by himself draw it up to land. We see that a supernatural strength was instilled there. You say, well, I don't know about that. Well, when you preach, you can preach it your way. But when, when a whole boat full of men can't pull that net up, now all of a sudden Peter on his own can pull it up. I think that's miraculous. I mean, we're not talking about 153 bluegill here, amen? We're talking about market fish. I mean, we're talking about the type. I'm talking about big old ugly things, 153 of them. And now Peter is able, at the Word of the Lord, to pull it up. A strength was renewed within him. You need that strength. The journey's too great for thee. If you're going to do this thing and do it right, you need the strength of God. It's not just recommended, it's required. You need it. Then notice a final thing, verse number 12. Jesus saith unto them... By the way, and I didn't touch on this, but look at verse 9. I thought this was interesting. As soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon and bread. And then in verse 10, Jesus saith unto them, Bring the fish which ye have now caught. You see, the fish he had been cooking wasn't the fish they had caught. He didn't didn't have them catch the fishes because he needed the fishes. He could catch his own fish. He wanted to show them what his word could do. Verse number 12, Jesus saith unto them, Come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, Who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh bread, and giveth them and fish likewise. You know something that's interestingly missing from that? Something that the Lord always did that he doesn't do here? He doesn't pray over his meal. Isn't that interesting you know why that is? because before the cross, as the Son of man and as the perfect example of the of the absolute fulfillment of the Old Testament law, he always gave thanks but now it is finished. now he's no longer fulfilling that role and now as God, he is dining and fellowshipping with these men. we see the fellowship they enjoyed. It's a scary thing, and I'll just say this in close, it's a scary thing when we don't enjoy fellowshiping with the Lord anymore. Man, something's wrong when we don't enjoy and I'm not talking about church, I mean it might be at church, but I, I'm talking about just when we don't enjoy the presence of God anymore, there's something bad, bad wrong in your life, when you don't enjoy it anymore. You say, what do I do, preacher? What do I do if I feel empty? What do I do if my prayer life is dead? What do I do if my Bible study time puts me to sleep and is dry and boring? Well, you've got to be willing to say, when the Lord says, children, have you any meat? Are you satisfied? Have you got what you need? You've got to say, no, Lord. No, I don't have what I need. No, Lord, I'm not happy, but I want to be. I'm not satisfied, but I know you're enough to satisfy me. Lord, something's wrong. You've got to heed that communication. You've got to make that confession. And then when the Lord tells you what's wrong, when He says, well, you've been casting on the wrong side of the ship. That's your problem. He says, well, your problem is this place of disobedience that you never repented of. Well, your problem is this, this issue in your life that I'm trying to deal with you about. When he says, do it my way, do it the right way, cast it on the right side, you've got to say, okay, Lord. Okay, Lord, I'll do it your way. I'll do it your way.